I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the dictators of truth are emboldened, the Trump Senate trial, Biden bows to China, Biden cures COVID, and Trump's office of the former president. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I want to start out today talking a little bit about how we talk about politics in America. And, you know, I, I call this the dictators of truth. I call this segment that. But you remember yesterday in the show, I played a clip. I'll play again in a moment. And it was an interview with Senator Rand Paul. And he was on a Sunday show, a weekend show with George Stephanopoulos. And the gist of it, the reason to play it, was to try to point out to you and to everyone how much the leftists, and by leftists, I mean the political types, the media army of leftists that locks arms with the uh, left wing, uh, left wing America, decide on some issue, decide on some opinion, and decide that everyone must agree with them. They are the dictators of truth. They decide this is true. And so one truth the left is trying to push is what you heard George Stephanopoulos trying to push on Rand Paul yesterday or over the weekend, which was essentially, you must agree the election was not stolen. I want to play that again. And it's a little bit long, but it really does help capture and give a picture of the way that people in Washington must deal, not with just the George Stephanopoulos of the world, but with media all around them and really in the kind of culture of Washington, what they deal with if they dare to say something outside the agreed upon truth in any subject. So here is Rand Paul and George Stephanopoulos. It was not stolen. Do you accept that fact? Well, what I would say is that the debate over whether or not there was fraud should occur. We never had any presentation in court where we actually looked at the evidence. Most of the cases were thrown out uh, for lack of standing, which is a procedural way of not actually hearing the question. There were several states in which the law was changed by the Secretary of State and not the state legislature. To me, those are clearly unconstitutional. And I think there's, a, there's still a chance that those actually do finally work their way up to the Supreme Court. Courts traditionally and historically don't like to hear election questions, but yes, were there people who voted twice? Were there dead people who voted? Were there illegal aliens who voted? Yes, and we should get to the bottom of it. I'll give you an example. In my state, when we had a Democrat Secretary of State, she refused, even under federal order, to purge the rolls of illegal voters. We got a Republican Secretary of State, and he purged the rolls. But, so Senator it Paul, make I have a to, difference, I, and those things. I, I have, have to, to stop occur. you there. There, no, no, no election is perfect, but there, there were 86 challenges filed by President Trump and his allies in court. All were dismissed. Every state certified the results after investigations, counts, and recounts. The de Department of Justice, led by William Barr, said there is no widespread evidence of fraud. Can't you just say the words, this yeah. election was well, not what stolen? What I would suggest is, what I would suggest is that if we want greater confidence in our elections, and 75% of Republicans agree with me, is that we do need to look at inte election integrity, and we do need to see if we can uh, restore confidence in the elections. Okay, I'm well, going to jump in there. 75% of Republicans I, I, agree with you because they were fed a big lie. We can cut up. You know, that 
I want you to hear that tone again and talk a little bit in this first five about how we talk about politics in America and what we have come to recognize in America happens when you're trying to talk about issues that are controversial on which reasonable, intelligent people can differ. The tone you heard from George Stephanopoulos is carried out, as I mentioned before we play the clip, in media all the time, in media, left-wing media around the country. They're not, as, as later in that clip, if we played longer portion, Rand Paul had said, look, you know, if you want to get someone else's opinion who thinks differently, get somebody else. You know, I, I, you ask me what I think, and here's what I think. But there is a growing um, monopoly, an insistence, a, a kind of a blanket smothering of the idea in America on many issues that you're allowed to hold a different opinion, that you're allowed to deviate from left-wing truth. This is dictators of truth is one way of describing what the left does. They decide what is true and everyone must agree. I want to share a personal story. Uh, I mean, it isn't personal to me, but a story didn't make the news. It's not a big headline. No one even know about it. But a friend of mine was called me last night just to talk about you know, how things are going, what's happening in America. And she ended up telling me a story about a friend of hers who had worked for many years as an executive assistant in, in some big city. I'm not sure what city it was. Some big city had had numerous jobs. This is a friend of hers from college. Numerous jobs, a big executive assistant, very responsible, had taken a new job with a charity. And this charity uh, had a small group of people running it. And this woman, uh, my friend's friend, who had this experience, uh, had worked for many other organizations, very successful, very uh, appreciated, you know, very professional executive assistants. So she's working with this new charity. She's sitting down at the meeting they have. And the woman who headed the meeting, and I believe headed the whole charity, uh, started out by saying, I want everyone in this room to agree that we support Black Lives Matter. This woman said, you know, she really didn't want to be argumentative. She didn't want to have a confrontation, but, you know, she, she has some challenges or disagreements or she doesn't want to say, yes, I support Black Lives Matter. So when it got to her, she said, you know, um, I, I, think all, I think Black Lives Matter, of course. I think all lives matter. I think unborn lives matter. I think senior citizens' life matters. I mean, I think everyone's life matters. But that wasn't good enough. This is a charity whose business has nothing to do with Black Lives Matter nothing to do with anything related to that organization. But this woman in a private charity running the place told this whole group that they had to agree that they support the Black Lives Matter organization. Now, my friend's friend is concerned about some things, uh, or I can speculate why you'd be concerned not want to agree to that statement, because you're, you're being asked to agree with the whole political agenda that flows from the Black Lives Matter organization. Number one, organized by Marxists. It has a very Marxist intention. It is not about just restoring civil society. It is about changing our government in a very left-wing Marxist way. It is about defunding the police. It is about forcing all of America to agree with the left-wing messaging and agenda that has happened over decades, which is used by the left-wing to gain political power, to spread the message that America is a deeply, horribly racist country, that we are just filled with races under every, uh, under every rock, that we have a country filled with white supremacists, filled with racists, that it is barely tolerable to even live in America, unless you happen to be a white person. It is, is an, it is a political agenda that the Black Lives Matter sets forth of defunding the police um, and, and all sorts of other agenda items that this woman who's just trying to do her new job at a charity did not want to sign on to. So she just said, look, you know, I, I, I think all lives matter. 
and that's where I stand. So the meeting ends, the woman heading up the charity shows up in her office later to say, you need to agree that you support the Black Lives Matter organization. This woman says, look, I'm, I'm trying to be honest. You know, I'm, I, I want justice, I want fairness, uh, you know, but I, you know, I, I, so I agree all lives matter. The charity head told her, maybe you need to take a break. Maybe you need to take a week off and think about what you're saying. To which this lady said, I don't need a week off. I don't need a break. I know exactly what I think. I don't need a timeout, so to speak. And eventually ended up being forced out of the organization because she would not sign on to the insistence of the head of this charity that she support the Black Lives Matter organization. There's a militancy about leftism in this country that is newly emboldened by the administration in Washington, D.C. A militancy that says, not only do we run everything, we will tell you what you may or may not think. And you may not disagree with the Black Lives Matter agenda. You may not disagree, you, you are not permitted to function in society in a private charity that has nothing to do with Black Lives Matter, you're not allowed to be here unless you'll agree. The thinking on the part of the woman heading that charity was, everyone knows there's only one opinion allowed. I support the Black Lives Matter organization. I don't care if they're Marxist. I don't care if they are putting in place dangerous policies of defunding the police. I get to say she ended up, this woman who was trying to say, look, all lives matter, you know, I, I, this is where I stand. She ended up being forced out, forced out. She got a lawyer and they, but they didn't have litigation, but she gets a lawyer and ultimately uh, arrived at some settlement and she left the organization. I just want you to think for a moment, what would have been the reaction if what that boss had said was, you know what, and at that meeting, everyone's sitting down, they're running this charity. Okay, everyone's got to sign on to the Make America Great Agenda. Is everyone, raise your hand. Everyone support the Make, Make America Great Agenda. I mean, you don't, number one, people with the, on the conservative side don't tend to do those kind of things. They don't force their views on others. And, and, and anyone who had resisted and said, you know, I actually don't, or I, I disagree with the MAGA agenda, whatever the answer they had. I mean, the whole thing reversed, which just never happened. But I tell that story because that's just one little story a friend of mine relayed to me last night. But I'm telling you, these things are happening all over the country. And they are part of, they're similar to what you watched Stephanopoulos hassling Senator Rand Paul. But they're similar to what's happening to the American political conversation on all sorts of topics. The left has issued the edict, the ruling, they dictate, this is what you must think on border security, um, election, whether the election was stolen or not, on uh, whether or not we should build a wall, on climate change, on whether we should rejoin, I mean, on issue after issue after issue. There's so rarely, so rarely an intelligent exchange of ideas, of listening to each other, and even a notion that you can respectfully agree that we're going to just disagree. You know, we, I, I understand better what you think, but that hardly exists in America. And one reason I do my show, one reason I started doing the show, was to try to get to the notion that if sometimes we can listen to each other and listen to each other's thinking and reasoning behind what we think, that we at least understand each other better. And that's supposed to be part of the, the, you know, the Western uh, civilization tradition of free speech and, and what leftists used to say they believed in, you know, that the home, Berkeley being the home of you know, the robust defense of free speech and exchange of ideas. And now Berkeley is as radically leftist and no one speaks except with approved left-wing opinions. 
And, and this is where we are. And this is why it's so hard in this country to move forward, because we don't have a lot of conversation and exchange about what we actually really think. And the other thing that happens related to that is because the left is so militant in what they believe about everything, it, they aren't just militant in saying this is what is true, but they're also extremely willing and, and just you know robustly engaged in labeling and tarring and feathering anyone who won't agree with them. So if you don't agree with the Marxist agenda of the Black Lives Matter movement and the effort to defund police, then you must be a racist. And so there's no conversation because, you know, someone saying, well, I don't support Black Lives Matter doesn't mean they're racist. It may mean they're deeply concerned about race relations and they view the agenda of the Black Lives Matter movement to be harmful. But you can't have that conversation. It happens on so many issues in this country where you have people assuming and, and kind of uh, labeling the other guy with what you assume they must think because after all, they aren't on my side, so they must be this, 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 and this. And so you never have conversation. And we're getting to a point where there's more and more conversation in America. You know, maybe we should split into two countries. We'll have blue, the blue country and the red country. And I, you know, I, I think that's a horrible idea. I, I, I don't know where we're gonna head in this country, but I do think part of the problem in America is you do have so much of the left-wing agenda just solidly worked into speech, assumptions by political types, by media types, in culture, even in a corporate America and in charity America, that the notion is everyone agrees in this truth and no more discussion. And the fact is you never listen to each other. You don't even know what the other guy thinks. And you, you assume the worst about what they think because your side told you that's, that is what this person means. Now I wanna get around to Donald Trump and wrap up the first five with this. So when Donald Trump came along in 2016, or 2015, I guess, was a big ride down the escalator uh, and, and ran his campaign in 2016, there had been a hunger on the part of millions of Americans as they watched our country over, and you can you know, name the period of time. It wasn't just the previous eight years under President Obama, but that was when it came to more of a head and more people realized it. But Americans, people who are just patriotic, you know, mainstream, main street, love America, love freedom type Americans had watched the government in Washington. They had watched their representatives on the conservative side, the Republicans, just simply capitulate to the slow Marxist takeover of America, the left wing growing government control, growing power, size, scope of government, the growing agreement that government can regulate more and more and more of your life, the growing agreement that the ruling class in Washington decides everything. They might come home on their breaks and talk to their supporters and constituents and claim they believe in this and claim they believe in this, but all that was really happening in Washington was the uniparty rolled on ruling the government in a way that's consistent with protecting their interests, their donors, their lobbyists, some international global interests, and nobody's looking out for the common American Joe. And on top of that, they saw, especially people looking at the Republican Party, realize the Republicans never fight. And they don't fight in part because of the way the left does fight. So many people in Washington, elected representatives in the House and Senate, didn't fight and don't fight because they recognize that if they dare step out of line, if they challenge the left-wing orthodoxy, the dictated opinions you must hold, they're going to be 
pummeled by the left-wing media mob. They're going to be pummeled with called racist, xenophobic, homophobic, hateful, bigot. All the words the left uses over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And it's easier if you're a Republican, no matter what you really think, it's easier to go to Washington and just pretend that you're going to represent your constituents, but you're going to go to Washington and you're going to capitulate to the left because you know how they fight and you don't want to be the next victim of how they fight, so you just surrender. And, watch, and Republicans in this country had watched that happen for decades, for decades. Even when we had a Republican president, or, or you know, intermittent with Democrat presidents, even when we had a Republican president, we watched the Republicans capitulate on issues, always, always going along with bigger government, more government control, larger bloated bureaucracy controlling every aspect of your life, using the excuse of climate change, uh, environmentalism, whatever the latest excuse was, it was always the government's growing bigger and no one's looking out for the American citizen. This is why Trump was popular in 2015, 2016, why he handily won the primary and then won the election. It's because he was speaking to the average Joe American saying, hey, I get what's happening here. No one's listening to you. That, that's what the people, what, what they heard. People who opposed him and the way the left-wing media went after him immediately, of course, went into their attack mode, which is their, their, how they report on Republicans and conservatives, which is just a relentless attack mode, and labeled Trump a bigot, xenophobe, homophobe, all the names they always come up with, just the whole litany of names. And this is how they tagged Donald Trump for four years. And so if you're among the people who mostly listen to left-wing media, mostly hear that was how Trump was described, you got your marching orders. Hate Trump, got it, hate Trump. So whatever Trump does, you know, it fits into one of the categories that he's been labeled with, you know, liar, xenophobe, homophobe, whatever the, the words were. You, you, ha you understand that's how you're supposed to see him. You let the media lead you along in thinking that's the way he is. And the media also succeeds in this other tact, which is to convince you to hate everyone who supported Trump and have no idea why they supported Trump. To think that everyone who did support Trump did it for the reasons the left-wing media tells you because they've just finished telling you that anyone who supports Trump is equally guilty of this long list of ugly accusations we're making against Trump. So we had a very, very hard time in four years in this country. We had patriots paying attention who supported Donald Trump and his agenda, but to be clear, not many Trump supporters did not agree with every tweet, every, every position taken, every policy. Many people would say, you know, yeah, I, I voted for Trump and I like him, but you know, I didn't like this tweet. I wish he would tweet less. I wish he wouldn't say this. You know, I wish he hadn't said this or that. There, there, it wasn't as though the people who signed on to support Trump just said, you know, whatever he says and does is fine with me. They're actual thinkers, serious thinkers about the preservation of America as a country rooted in freedom, who stood with Trump because they saw what he was doing, restoring American liberty, restoring respect for the individual citizen, restoring the notion of the government exists in America by the consent of the governed for the purpose of protecting the individuals and their right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. That's the purpose of government in America. That's why people got behind Trump. But the media built up so much hatred toward him that I'll just tell you one quick story. I, I found it kind of mind blowing. I'll wrap up the first five with this. So there's that, this web, red, 
website called Reddit, which I don't really ever go to, R-E-D-T-I-T, Reddit. So they have some story in Reddit where people can talk about politics, I guess. I don't go there, so I don't really know what's on there. But this story made a lot, got a lot of attention online because some young man had written on Reddit that he was so angry with his father, his own father, because his father supported Donald Trump. And this young man writing on Reddit, you know, hates Trump. So, okay. So this kid writes on Reddit that when his father died because he was so angry with his father for supporting Trump, that he had actually had his father cremated against his father's wishes. I mean, just talk about the level of hatred, a kind of act like that represents the level of just visceral hatred had his father cremated, which wasn't what the dad wanted against his wishes, and then threw the ashes in the trash to prove what a really, you know, I don't even know what he thought he was proving. And I mean, on a personal level, actually doing that when you deal with the death of a parent, uh, you know, many of you have been through that or death of a loved one, you know, it's a tender thing. You're very careful and thinking what through the person, thinking through what the person would have wanted, what would be their wishes, honoring their life, you know, I mean, all the things you do when you lose a loved one. This guy not only did this in his private life, I mean, decided to go ahead and have his dad cremated against his wishes and then throw his dad's ashes in the trash, but was so proud of it, so proud of his expression of hatred, he wrote about it on Reddit. And I tell you that story to say, you know, I, I do this, I get passionate on this show. I get passionate and I'm always and forever about preserving the unique idea of America and its roots in the right of man to live in freedom, to not live under socialism, communism, or any other ugly-ism, but to live in the freedom that we were guaranteed in our founding, that, that is what America is all about. So I get passionate talking about like that, and I, I do mean the things I say. I'm, I'm very careful in researching the stories I write and researching you know, the issues and being able to present them in a factual way. I'm very careful about that but I'm very passionate about that. But I was kind of reminded today, reading that story about this guy from Reddit to recognize that you know tensions are running high in this country. That the level of suspicion and making the worst assumptions about everybody else who isn't on your political team, the, the, the level of that is through the roof in this country. So I am recommitting myself as I have since a started doing this show in 2014, I think, middle of 2014, to try to couch everything I say in the terms that help people see I'm not here to be a you know, Donald Trump cheerleader forever because he won't be around forever. I'm not here to be a cheerleader for any particular person. I'm here to be a cheerleader for America and for the ideas of America and to encourage a dialogue and exchange that's supposed to happen in America. And um, you know, I'll tell you, we have, I ran out of time. I have to go on to other things, but I have two things I want to mention, uh, and you can find them on our website, americacanbetalk.org. But kind of, you know, it goes back to my earlier point about just kind of the dictators of truth, which is what the left thinks they are. They get to dictate what everyone else must believe is true because they think they're the only ones who get to decide truth. There are several quotes out of George Orwell's 1984, several quotes out of George Orwell, the author, and a letter written prior to the time he wrote the book, 1984. Um, other, uh, others written by an, a book called Darkness at Noon. There are quotes that you can, uh, and they're in articles that are now on our website, americacanbetalk.org. But, but I'm getting at this point, and to close up the first five, it has been recognized throughout the history 
of man. That there are people who spend their time trying to manipulate the thought of others, trying to, to infiltrate society and culture and churches and, and institutions of all kinds to inflict their thought, to impose their thought, to disguise their agenda, but impose their thought on, on other people and have other people emerge thinking, not recognizing what's happened to them. It's like the CIA's kind of mind manipulation stuff. It's as old as time. The CIA doing this kind of thing is mind manipulation, planting stories, then we believe them. And that way the whole society is, is molded and morphed and, and, and tweaked and pushed around into what the molders of thought want you to think. Well, anyway, these quotes that I, that I don't have time to read, but they're very, very good. They're defining kind of the way I see what the left is doing now. They've decided certain things must always be seen as true, and, and that also that the ends, without exception, the ends justify the means. Without exception, always, the ends that they have are justify whatever means, which is, includes uh, really torquing America around, convincing America that racism is a far bigger problem than it is. Not saying that it isn't. We're going to talk about race tomorrow but using whatever tools they have, whatever manipulation they have available to them to torque and contort American society. And there, it is, there has never been a more important time than now for people committed to preserving this country to, to do their own thinking, to do their own reading, to do their own digging, to not just be dictated and contorted around by the dictators of truth and getting to the conclusions they do based on what the dictators of truth tell them. It truly is a time for thinkers in America. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. Okay, I wanna hit the story today. So the Trump Senate trial uh, is uh, ongoing right now. Uh, and so this is, to be very clear, the uh, House has impeached, the Constitution gives the, the House the right to impeach, and that just, and the articles of impeachment basically said that it was because Trump allegedly, which he did not do, but Trump allegedly is guilty of fomenting insurrection because of the attack on the Capitol January 6th. And so on January 6th, we've been over many times, we'll probably cover it even more because more information is coming out, but the attack on the Capitol on January 6th had a, an enormous element and a planned element ahead of time that had nothing to do with Trump supporters. It had figures, forces on the American left seeing this as an opportunity to damage Trump further. And so there were forces of Antifa, Black Lives Matter, the radical left, very much ensconced in and agitating and creating the, the chaos at the Capitol on January 6th. And you did have some Trump supporters who'd been to hear the president's speech, get caught up in it and, and breach the Capitol, enter the Capitol. So that is the incident which, the, without any investigation, as we probably point out in this show, no due process to the president. You know, this all happened on January 6th, and the House leaped into action to impeach the president over this incident without the investigation understanding what more and more facts come out. You know, the, actually now we've learned the D.C. police had, had noticed ahead of time they knew there was going to be something. No one's there protecting things. I mean, just, just crazy level stuff. The kind of thing would never stand up in a serious court, but the left decided this is our chance to impeach, to impeach him again, make him the only president impeached twice, and now it's over in the Senate. Obviously, President Trump is out of office, but today is the beginning of this trial effort in the Senate. And I want to hit a couple points about this uh, and why this is so important. I'm not going to cover every detail of it, but I want to cover some things that really, really matter uh, in my view. Number one, 
Over this last year in this country, we have watched the forces of Antifa and Black Lives Matter attack American cities, not just you know one night of violence after the George Floyd incident in Minneapolis. We're talking months upon day after day, week after week, month after month in cities all over the country. And we're not talking about peaceful protests where you're in the streets or you're in a public park waving signs. We're talking months and months of violent anti-Trump protest, violent protests against America as a racist country, violent protests against police, against the rule of law. You have the uh, idiots at the um, Portland or Seattle, one of those two that took over an area, actually putting out they demand communism now, the end of capitalism. We demand communism. Capitalism is racist. I mean, wild, wild leftist attack on America, on President Trump, anti-American attack, and fomented and legitimized by the left in America. You can't find a member of the House or Senate who stood up and said, you know, this has to end. Stop. This is not the way to solve things. We can't do this. The left saw the attacks on America by Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and other radical leftist, communist hate groups. They saw those as a vehicle to gain political power. They saw those as frightening the American citizens and the other avenue of their, of their think, seeing of this as a virtue to help them somehow was a notion that eventually people would think they'll somehow blame Trump for this action by people who hate Trump. These weren't Trump supporters doing this. These are Trump's you know, biggest enemies. These are Trump haters who did this. And yet somehow the media blames Trump or somehow it's all Trump's fault. And these people in Washington, D.C., the House members, the Senate members, in their utter silence, legitimized and, and, in fact, almost fomented and encouraged what happened. And nobody, nobody at a political level, not the mayors, not the governors, not the city council members, no one who's, no Democrats whose words incensed, legitimized, fomented, enabled all this violence for a nearly entire year, not one elected official was held responsible. I mean, many more deaths than the Capitol incident in January 6th, much more destruction, much more physically attacking, killing police officers, burning buildings, burning police cars, taking over, all of that, not one official held responsible, and the Democrats benefited from this. And then you have the January 6th incident where Trump which was, in many people's view, including mine, an operation. It was not an organic, uh, we're going to burst into the Capitol because we're so angry. Trump told his followers, patriotically and peacefully protest, which is still legal in this country. But you have now that the Democrats got power by permitting, fomenting, enabling uh, what happened all year long and one incident at the Capitol, and this is, justifies their, their decision to... Uh, impeach Trump because now we're over the Senate trial. And I'll tell you something, a couple of things to keep in mind about this. Because the Senate is now 50-50, that, that's the breakdown of the 50, of the, you know, five, 50 Republicans, 50 Democrats. So now, in order to remove him, which is what the Senate power is in the Constitution, they need a two-thirds vote. That means they would need 17 Republicans. 17 Republicans would have to vote for the, with the Democrats. You've already got, I think they already have 17, or maybe it's 14, already saying there's no way in the world we would vote for this. So you have 
the Democrats can see that this removal, even though we're going to get to this, it's not a removal since he's already out. But you already have the Democrats realizing they're not going to win this Senate trial. They're not going to get to the two-thirds majority Senate needed to effectuate the removal punishment. So they know they can't get that. So what's the purpose of doing it? Why, why do it? Trump is out. They, they can't make him more out. He's out. But the purpose is vengeance. The purpose, and I go back to what I talked about in the, the start of the show, the purpose of putting him on trial, continuing trying to drag out this attack on him, this ridiculously unjustified attack on him, because he didn't cause the January 6th attack, but the purpose, why they feel such vengeance toward him is because what Donald Trump accomplished in his campaign and in his four years as president is connecting with the American people, with the American heartland, with the American grassroots in ways none of those people could ever connect. Donald Trump inspired the American people to believe in the idea of America again, the idea we actually do have rights and we should actually expect our members of the House and Senate to be thinking of us, America first, not everybody else first, not foreign powers first, not foreign, uh, country, you know, foreign deals first, not globalism, America first. You're supposed to be looking out for your country and this is what Donald Trump inspired people to believe in and they, he actually inspired the expectation I expect to see my, my government react to that, react to that responsibility, that primary responsibility to look out for the people. So Democrats now condemning the political violence, which they, uh, they themselves benefited from throughout the year and now condemning it. So here we are 50, 50, uh, they now have also, so that's the first thing they know they cannot get to a conviction and they're doing it anyway out of pure, utter malice also doing it to send the message to the Trump team and to his supporters, don't ever think about having Trump run again. Don't ever think about bringing him back because we're going to make it impossible. They're invoking that 14th Amendment thing, trying to say that he can be uh, barred from all future office. But they're trying to send the message to Trump and not just to Trump. And it's even not just to his supporters. It is to any future president don't you dare come in here and mess with the ruling elite. Don't you come in here and stir up the American people into believing that they should have representation in Washington. Don't you dare interfere with the ruling elite's uh, stranglehold on power and show up and act like you think that you're going to show the American people that actually the government it should be representing you. It is, a, it is a shot across the bow holding the Senate trial in the face of sure defeat is a shot across the bow at Trump, at his supporters, and to any future politician who would run on this kind of agenda that says, we're gonna to listen to the people. We're gonna put the interests of the American people first. We're gonna stop letting our southern border be overrun. We're going to stop letting our, our sovereignty be slowly whittled away as we surrender more and more of our authority, our power, to uh, UN and other international organizations where we're surrendering our sovereignty. All of what Trump did was renew a, a, a just a, a sense in the American people, wow, someone's listening and someone understands the purpose of our government is look out for us, not everybody else. So uh, another thing to on the Senate trial, very quickly to mention to you is there's been a big battle in Washington because it's 50-50, as you likely know, uh, when there's a tie in any vote, uh, the tie is broken by the president of the Senate 
which is by by constitutional law, constitution, uh, is the sitting vice president. So assuming Biden, you know, bumbles his way through for a while longer before they take him out, you have Kamala Harris. She's the vice president. She would be she'd be the tiebreaker. There is also in Congress, in the Senate still, the idea of a filibuster. The filibuster is, the, and, and to be very clear, the filibuster used to apply, I think it was like 1806 it got started. It's been around a long time, 1806, I believe. But in any case, the gist of the filibuster idea is that if you have in the Senate, because it's supposed to be like the higher body, the more uh, statesmanlike. You know, the House is supposed to be more rough and tumble, directly representational of the people. The Senate, you know, the kind of the higher body, or so they consider themselves. And the concept is that when you have very controversial things in the Senate, to move it forward, you have to be able to have, um, you have to, you must have the uh, two-thirds of the senators at least willing to move forward on the issue. And so the filibuster used to be used, which is basically you get up and you start, start talking and you won't shut up. You're making the point that we, our side, will filibuster this issue because we're not going to agree with you. And once you use the filibuster, you kind of end, end the uh, current negotiation on any issue. You got to go back to the drawing board. We used to have the filibuster uh, originally also for the appointment of federal court judges. We had the filibuster taken away uh, by the Democrats when they were in charge because they wanted to force their choices for the federal bench through the Senate at a time they couldn't get the two-thirds vote. So they, I mean, the filibuster is not in the Constitution. It's not in federal law. It is simply kind of a, um, lack of a better term, gentleman's agreement. It's a, it's a standing practice. And so the filibuster was taken away by the Democrats first when they wanted to have their ability to appoint federal court judges when they didn't have two-thirds of the Senate. So they just got rid of, the, they had the majority, they got rid of the filibuster rule. So then a simple majority could appoint judges to the federal courts. And then the Republicans took away the filibuster when it got to the, the Democrats tried to leave it intact for Supreme Court justices. So we got around to where the Republicans had the majority and they said, you know what? We're getting rid of the filibuster rule because we are, um, you know, because we don't have two thirds and we have appointments to make. And so now there's no filibuster rule, no way for the party that uh, doesn't have the majority. There's no way for the minority party to stop those kinds of appointments or review of their possible appointments uh, using filibuster. But the filibuster is still in place for legislation. And I want to just tell you why the concept of it is, and especially you can see now where we are in a, you know, a pretty much um, oligarchy situation. We have one party has all the power, has the White House, has the House, and you know, has the Senate by, if you count Kamala Harris voting uh, to break a tie. So you have you know, one party rule, and they are massively ruling, uh, moving forward at just a you know, freight train speed, just breakneck speed, to try to solidify their power. I mentioned this yesterday, to try to change election law in every state, uh, which, by the way, there's a lot of good answers to how they maybe can be stopped doing that, but trying to change election law, you know, and all election integrity law protections in any state, and to also instantly grant amnesty to millions of Amer people in America who are illegally here. Those two things together, coupled together, as I talked about yesterday, give the Democrats a lot of power. But back to filibuster, understand the situation. We still have the filibuster for legislation. And you can see now what a great protection it is. Because with the Democrat majority everywhere, Democrats running everything, if you don't have the filibuster, and so the Republicans in the Senate would have no way 
to stop a bill you know plowing forward then you literally would have uh, it's kind of like dictatorial rule you'd have the president uh you'd have the house and the senate run by the democrats get anything they want republicans basically have no say because democrats have the majority and the democrats do whatever they want to do they send it to the white house biden signs it the end one party rule in this country so the filibuster stands as a protection for the uh minority party in legislation many times there's been discussions we get rid of the filibuster uh you know, get rid of that entirely. Well, Chuck Schumer, the Democrat now, now majority leader, he, Chuck Schumer, has said, yeah, let's get rid of the filibuster, even for legislation. You know, he's just a full bore that when the Marxists got control and we're taking over and he wanted to do that. Um, and so that would have basically say the Republicans, I mean, they, you know, they, they really can't do much of anything. However, two Democrat senators, two Democrat senators, bravely stepped up and said they would not go along with ending the filibuster rule for legislation. It's like a miracle and it's a wonderful thing. It's actually a very statesmanlike thing to do, very statesmanlike, because it's gonna force what the point of the filibuster rule is, it forces the majority party to negotiate and listen to the minority party. So two Democrat senators, Kristen Sinema from Arizona, which was a complete shock to people. I think people didn't know that came out of left field. And then Joe Manchin from West Virginia, who is very often, at least he talks about a good game about trying to listen and support, uh, you know, to be more bipartisan, to listen, even though he pretty much votes leftist. But the two of them standing there said, we're not going to support ending the filibuster for legislation. So now we have that level of protection. This is a good sign. This is a good sign because it's helping people recognize uh, that they just cannot, I mean, they can't go this kind of nuclear option of end the filibuster and just plow everything Democrats th want through. It is a little bit of a hedge of protection uh, for, the, um, for the Republicans in America and the Republicans in the Senate. So now uh, McConnell and Schumer working on a power sharing deal. Uh, apparently, um, and this is a good thing, apparently kind of... Um, working out a power-sharing deal that will allow more back-and-forth consideration. One little factoid to throw in there, very, very interesting. A guy named Brian Jack, whom I have not heard of before, but Brian Jack, who was Trump's former political director at the White House, apparently spent the weekend talking to some senators um, about the idea that, you know what, this, this impeachment trial is crazy. You're, you're, this impeachment trial is, is, is ludicrous. Trump's out of office. A lot of you know, consideration whether, whether there's even a constitutional right of the Senate to hold a removal trial and the president's already out. Jonathan Turley weighed in, uh, one of the, the very esteemed um, law professors in the country said, you can, you know, he's saying you cannot, you cannot hold a removal trial when he's already gone. The constitution doesn't permit that. I think Dershowitz said that too. So anyway, but this is ongoing, but Trump is weighing in a little bit through his, um, this guy, Brian Jack, and basically telling him to the Republican senators, you know, uh, Trump's still around, not going anywhere, so beware. And part of what he's threatening, what we'll talk about a little later in the show, is Trump has now set up the office of the former president, which I think is very funny, we'll get to in a moment, but office of former president. And part of that is he's gonna be looking at, you know, pushing the Trump agenda, which is the pro-America agenda, pushing Trump agenda, you know, keeping an eye on things, trying to keep people informed, keep speaking and be out there letting people understand the Trump agenda and possibly supporting candidates. 
possibly supporting candidates, including, I would guess, primary candidates to challenge any of the uh, senators who felt wobbly, um, you know, if they, uh, about what to do about the impeachment thing. I think a message they may have gotten from Brian Jack is, I wouldn't go there, Republican senator, voting on impeachment, because, you know, you just might get primaried by the Trump team moving forward. Last quick thing on this story, uh, Jonathan Turley's also said that um, Trump would have standing to challenge even the existence of the impeachment trial. Okay, so uh, that is that on that. I had a clip from Trilly, but I don't have time to play it because I don't want to run out of time here. But I do want to mention, oh, by the way, so they had a vote today, just a little while ago. They had a vote about um, uh, whether they could, should go forward with the impeachment. And Rand Paul, I am becoming a Rand Paul fan. I don't even know the guy, but I'm, I mean, I, I met him. But I mean, I, I, think he's, I think he's showing tremendous courage, not just because he shut down Stephanopoulos, the whiner, but because he... Rand Paul, today on the Senate floor, actually brought a motion just to say we shouldn't even be having an impeachment trial. He wants to say no impeachment trial is ridiculous. Trump is gone. And so he put that out there. It got voted down, meaning that some Republicans joined the Democrats in saying, no, no, let's go forward. Let's have a trial. Now, I bet if I were speaking in person, I could say, okay, in the audience, guess who among the Republicans in the Senate went ahead and supported holding an impeachment trial for Trump? I'm guessing you already know, but I'll quickly tell you. Um, Mitt Romney, there's a shock. Um, Mitt Romney, Ben Sass, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, and Pat Toomey. Those five Republicans, I hope they all get primaried or something else, just removed. Um, and uh, they are, uh, you know, just voted out in the next time or something. Uh, but those five voted with the Democrats to go ahead and do a trial um, because they've been kind of Trump agitators all along. So. That's where we are on that subject. Um, I do think actually the last point in this Senate trial is I do think this will very, very much, um, it'll ultimately make help more and more Americans understand how unserious the Democrat party is, how flaming, unserious, impossibly unserious to impeach a president over something, no fact, no trial, even knowing, you know, we, we got a chance, we saw something, we pounced on the January 6th thing, impeaching them, move for removal when he's already gone. They look, they look childish, they look vengeful, they look retaliatory, and mostly they look like scared children who don't want to have to deal with someone of Trump's popularity again, and so they can squish him down and make him look bad. This is all there is to it, is disgrace, is disrespectful to the Constitution and to our system of government to have these people conducting this impeachment trial. Okay, last two things in the show today, maybe three things very quick, though. Uh, Biden vows to China. This is a quick story. I'm going to develop it more. In fact, I, I believe I have someone coming on. Gordon Shang is coming on a couple weeks again. And I may have this other woman, uh, a woman coming on, Helen Raleigh, uh, who is Chinese by background, who's been talking about watch out what the Chinese are doing. I just want to make this quickest point that, that and I'll, I'm going to develop it more another day, but one of the great things that happened under the Trump administration was that he became aware through his senior advisors of the, of the growing threat China presents to America. Trump became aware of this because of many serious think tank people in Washington trying to help the president and the government understand how much China is on the move in this world. We've had experts on the show of all kinds talking about China's uh, Belt and Road Initiative, China purchasing property around the world to, be, to create other places they have physical control over, buying ports 
in, in Africa and all around the world. They have China's initiative buying land and property in America. They have the China initiative to spread communism. And actually, to be very clear, it's two things about China. It's to spread communism. They very much openly have said repeatedly they want to become the single dominant world power. They do not want America to be that. They don't even want to be equal in power. They want to be the dominant world power. They're using all sorts of tactics to get there. They want to push communism as, their, as, the, as the government, the kind of government they would have, but they want to push China itself. There's that ancient doctrine, ancient doctrine that was from ancient Chinese dynasties, talked about and believed in forever, and currently enunciated and supported by Xi Jinping that says it's an ancient thought about China, that the Chinese people, the nationality itself, is intended to rule the world. China is on the move in countless ways. We've talked about it many times on the show. So one great thing Trump did was try to get China out of the chain of suppliers for people who, for, for, for the products we need to have the keep the electric grid safe in America. We've talked in the show many times before about how vulnerable America is. We have an electric grid. If China took it down, if any other enemy took it down, even if a solar uh, incident, uh, the real sun, solar incident took out the, the power grid, how dangerous and long-term and deadly that would be. So we had Trump become aware of this and put in place a series of orders uh, which basically said, you're trying to keep the China involvement out of the U.S. power grid. Not, we don't want their products, we don't want their services, we don't want to have to be relying on them in any way with the U.S. power grid. It was a great thing and basically cut back China's involvement in this very, very precious power grid question that keeps everybody safe. So, so Trump had a um, had an executive order, basically said we're going to stop doing that. Um, and you know, that was one of the first things Biden did. He suspended Trump's rule. on, on the. Uh, it was called Trump's bulk power system executive order. And Biden suspended it. And I, I'm going to hope and pray uh, that it was really just because um, Biden is, you know, trying to just flex his muscles and, you know, show he can undo everything Trump did. I hope someone in his administration can help him understand this is vitally important. I understand there are people in the State Department that advise him, advisors who advise him, but we had a lot of vulnerability to China over decades in this country because of alleged experts in Washington, the State Department, other places who just wanted to be the, the knowledgeable international elite that love the idea of China's our pal, China's our buddy, and you know we're building global relations and didn't and we made America more vulnerable and less safe because of the main decisions we made with China. Trump stood up for it. Biden has now suspended that. We're gonna I'm gonna follow up more on that later, but it's a very dangerous thing. And in a very similar thing, I, I call this this uh, particular one Biden cures COVID. And just the quickest thing, just to tell you, if you ever doubted that um, I used to say in the show on the on this we're on the segment uh, Biden cures COVID. I said many times, and other people have too, that COVID was used by the left wing of this country as a tactic to gain political power. China released COVID. Heaven knows, we're going to figure out, we hope someday, accidentally, purposely, where, why, all of that. But China released it. America, everyone in the world, countries around the world suffered from it. But America went into high gear in trying to protect our own citizens from it. So we, so we did you know, the lockdowns and we've had the most extended lockdowns 
uh, rules about where you can go, mask wearing, businesses shut down, massive damage to our economy. COVID was used by the left to steal this election. Yes, yes, I will say it. George Stephanopoulos doesn't really call me, but yet, yeah, no, I will never say, I will never agree to George, with George Stephanopoulos and say, and say, oh, no, no, the, you know, Biden didn't steal the election. The left stole the election. But back to this. COVID was used to validate, to legitimize the sending out of millions of unsolicited mail-in ballots, a huge aspect of the fraud. But where we are with Biden, why I have this caption today is I've been talking about COVID as it was being manipulated by the left to gain political power and exaggerations and headlines and exaggerations of the danger and exaggerations of, oh my gosh, we all have to. And so the economy goes in the tank. The left can accuse Trump because the, the, the economy is bad, which was, of course, back before COVID came around, one of, his, one of his high points. But you had the left using COVID as a means of attack against Trump and during the election, challenging how he handled it. You know, he should have done this sooner, should have changed this. Should, all the while, he took enormously productive steps. This is one area where we can get off on another day. I did not agree with every decision of the Trump administration related to COVID. But, you know, I, I still, overall, he, he's a pro-America guy, and I love that. But understand what is happening now. After months of telling us that cases are rising, everything's dangerous, you know, that uh, you know, we have a terrible situation in America, cases on the rise, everyone's got to stay home, everyone's got to mask up, no business is open, social distancing mandated, you know, you lose your life, the, the business you spent your life building, hey, that's tough break. I mean, the left has used COVID as a method to inflict tyranny on this country, and now Biden's been in office not even a week, not even a week, and all of a sudden, mountains of good news about COVID since inauguration day all of a sudden headlines changing governors changing i'll just give you a quick litany of them world health organization on biden's very election day put out a statement hey you know what turns out this covid pcr test is overly sensitive based on the cycle threshold which you talked about in the show many times the test far too many positive tests positive covid tests uh findings for people taking the PCR test because the number of cycles that they, the cycle threshold they use. And, and you know, Consorta has been saying, wait, 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 these numbers are way out of control. That's not true. We don't have those number of cases. And, you know, World Health Organization suddenly discovered and put this out on Biden's inauguration day. I can run through dozens of other examples. You know, a week before Biden's inauguration, Reuters has headline, new death rates, new cases, everything's terrible. The Hill, overwhelmed, the Hill has a headline, overwhelmed by COVID-19 surge. All of a sudden, Biden's inaugurated, what do you know? Bloomberg, COVID cases fall in 46 states. New York Times, U.S. coronavirus cases are falling. You have Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot suddenly saying, we got to get restaurants back open. You have Governor Newsom in California all of a sudden saying, we've got to lift these stay-at-home orders. We've got to go back to work. You have Governor Whitmer in Michigan saying, hey, you know, we can open restaurants again. The flood of Democrat and liberal sources changing their tune. As of January 20th, Inauguration Day, is, I mean, if it were not so frustratingly wrong is comical. It's ridiculous. All of a sudden, all these positive voices out. Hey, everything's okay. Cool your jets. We're okay. 
because Biden won, and again, pointing out what I've been saying for months, which is COVID has been used as a political weapon to inflict tyranny and to inflict damage on the economy, and President Trump and the left is now proving it. Last quick story, and I'll wrap it up with this very, very quickly. So, you know, President now President Biden had an office that he called Office of the President-Elect. So he's, you know, he's playing pretend president before he was inaugurated and putting up people under this Office of President-Elect. And he's basically saying, you know what, this is Biden trying to, you know, in the same way that the media used President-Elect Biden from the moment that they called the election. So President Trump has now created Office of the Former President. Now this is the kind of thing I know just probably riles the left and makes them crazy, but it's a great announcement, and I'll tell you why very quickly. He is saying in this announcement, the office will carry on the agenda of the Trump administration through advocacy, organizing, and public activism. And I tell you folks, it goes back to why Trump ran. He doesn't need the money. He doesn't need the fame. He could float around on a different yacht every year for the rest of his life, travel the world, you know, have fun. He could just, he could just, you know, float around on yachts, fly around in his private jets. He could do whatever he wants. But his reason for running and why he got so popular with the base when he started running was because he's saying, no, I, I want to restore America. And he's not going to give up because he's out of office. So he's going to have public activism. I don't know all that's going to mean. Advocacy, organizing, uh, and basically uh, this is all set up. Um, and, you know, I don't know what he means. Uh, Trump said at one point, you know, we'll do something. Um, I don't know what it means. He said that to Rob Crilly of the Washington Examiner. But Trump is basically saying, I'm, I'm not done. I'm not done saving America. And I have to say, he said he's not going to do a third party. So the third party idea is out for him. He's not going to do it, but, you know, he will be a presence kind of standing up for the 74, 75, 78, whatever number of million people voted for him, standing up for them saying, no, you still have a voice. I'm going to be putting those messages out there. It's going to help keep the party hopefully tethered to the conservative agenda. Um, actually, I'll tell you one quick thing, kind of funny. Poll of GOP voters said a Trump third party is a good idea. A majority of Trump, of GOP voters said that, you know, if Trump's not doing it, I don't know if it's going to come together or not. So I could go on and on, but I'm at the end of my time. I want to take 30 seconds to run through the slides to tell you again, if you're listening to my show on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter, please know tremendous pressure is coming on conservative outlets, conservative voices like mine. So I have some alternative ways you can listen. Go to my website. This is the best way to do it. America Can We Talk is my website, americacanwetalk.org. You see in the bottom line there, forward slash live, you can watch my show live. Number two, you can go to the Rumble, which is Rumble doesn't yet have live streaming, but I'm going to guess they will. But the show goes up on Rumble right afterwards. And on rumble.com, look at the bottom line of that, that little slide right there, America Can We Talk. You have to type the words in that way with, with uh, the capitalization pushed all together. That's how you find it in Rumble. Last thing is, please join me on Raindrop. Texting technology is the coolest thing ever. Text me. You can text me and join a, our, our growing audience of people who are uh, joining my, my following and so I can communicate with you, tell you how to find me if I'm taking off of social media, on your, and you're texting on your phone. 
when you enter, when you go to the two line where you put in someone's name, just type in that number on the two line, 53445. And then in the message part, type in the word America, and that's what you can do. And you can be part of Raindrop Texting with me, and I'll be able to communicate with you uh, as we move through trying to find our new home and new places on Facebook, on, on social media. Uh, we're staying on Twitter and Rumble, excuse me, staying on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube uh, for a while, but we've got to build the audience. So especially if you're one of my really huge audience on YouTube, please email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com or go to my website, americacanwetalk.org. Hit subscribe. I'm trying to find a way to stay in touch with the subscribers on YouTube if I were to be taken down. So if you're a YouTube subscriber, either email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com or go to my website, americacanwetalk.org, hit the subscribe button or use the texting thing. I just, I just read you the number there. Do something so we can stay connected if I end up having to leave YouTube. I, I, you know, I, I'm grateful for it being there. I just don't know how long that's going to last. So with that, I do at the end of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our show today talking about dictators of truth and bolden, George Stephanopoulos interchanged with Rand Paul exemplifies Orwellian ministry of truth. All must say what they're told to say. All must think what they're told to think. Charity incident, all must support Black Lives Matter. No one may opt for All Lives Matter. No one may express concern about defunding police, eliminating bail, refusing to enforce laws against theft. Dissenters shall be fired and shunned as racist and maybe even white supremacists. This is a very dangerous trend for all who love freedom and freedom of speech. Imagine the leftist hysteria if a charity or business demanded all must support the MAGA agenda. And then the Trump Senate trial, a fundamentally vengeful and unserious action by the U.S. Senate will further erode Americans' respect for our current institutions. Impeachment is a process for removal from office. Trump's already out of office. The causation of January 6th riots is anything but clear. There's irrefutable evidence of bad actors from both ends of the political spectrum. Patrick Byrne has noted indicia of a staged operation. Dems fomented and legitimized riots and insurrection all summer long with no political consequence. Highly dubious whether a ban on holding office resulting from this process would pass constitutional muster. Some senators are sensing petty vindictiveness is not a good look. Let's hope most of them. And Biden bows to China. Biden reverses an executive order banning China equipment and parts in the U.S. power grid. Are most Americans okay with that? I don't think so. Trump ban on Chinese military. Oh, we didn't even get to this story. Trump ban on Chinese military affiliated companies on the New York Stock Exchange is now up in the air. Unclear if Biden grasps the danger. All significant Chinese companies control are controlled, are controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. None held the U.S. disclosure standards. This is why Trump banned Chinese military affiliated companies from the stock exchange. China increasingly aggressive in flyovers into Taiwan airspace. Will Biden resist a military takeover of Taiwan by China? The CCP is not a benign organization. The world should be wary. And Biden cures COVID. Who knew? On cure of COVID after Biden is inaugurated, World Health Organization announces on Inauguration Day that PCR COVID testing generates heavy false positives. Who knew? Governor Whitmer, Michigan, okays indoor dining. Governor Newsom opens up California. New York Governor Cuomo realizes, hey, we can't stay locked down forever. 
Media suddenly able to paint a rosier picture in headlines. Cases are falling. Americans don't like their intelligence insulted. Medical science hasn't changed. Only political power has changed. Questions proliferate. How much of the pandemic management experience was driven by politics and how much by medicine? And last, my fun little topic, Trump opens office of the former president, why it matters, trolling Biden's office of the president-elect, apparently intends to stay involved with a MAGA agenda rather than retire, denies interest in forming a new political party, affirms interest in primary GOP incumbents. This we could go with. This is why the swamp is driving for impeachment, conviction, and ban on future office holding. It's because America loves the MAGA agenda, and this drives the swamp crazy. And this, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk. We always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America?